working. Welcome back, manifestors. It's an exciting time to be alive because we've got our second return guest of the season already. So a big manifestor, welcome back to Gibson. Woo, Gibson, welcome. Yes. So Gibson, talk to us. Yeah, Gibson, what's up since we've last had you on the show? It's been almost, it's been a year. It's been been one year. It's been, we're back in Pride Month. We're back in Pride Month. Yeah, this is my new Pride tradition. So, um, yeah. Um, I've, I've left the, the bright and sunny state of Florida, and I'm up in New Jersey now. Wow, I know, big like changes. So, you know, um, things are going well. Things are going well for old Gibson over here. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> King um, of New I Jersey. Mean, you still look very tan. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I, um, I'm very concerned for when winter comes around. Sure. I, Aren't we all? Yeah, I moved up in all? April, and it was like... 50 degrees and all I would talk about was how cold it was. So oh, I think yeah. that maybe, um, maybe once the winter comes around, I will not be a fun person to be around. <laughs> God, it's tough. It's tough out there. But as a, as a Virgo male, Blair, I'm pretty boring yeah. already. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's why you're here to give you, for giving you more conversational topics. <laughs> We're we're asking you to delve in. It's is saying, that what every Virgo male is in search of? Conversation. I've been topics. I've been known to slander a Virgo man. Yes. I mean, I know, but I didn't realize <laughs> that like a lack of conversation was among your grievances. Um, no, it's it's more just like their conversational, like Gibson's saying. It's like maybe don't talk about the weather, Gibson. Maybe ask them <laughs> about the first time they saw their dad cry. That's oh, how you get an interesting. That is what the manifestors want. They really do want the deep cuts. Well, that's, the first time that I saw my dad cry was. <laughs> I, I'd be curious. I, I actually that would be our, our that we're gonna have a Patreon episode where we just all talk about the first time we saw our dads cry. Great, that could be a podcast in and of itself. We just interview people about the first time they saw their Rebecca, dad cry. Stop creating spinoff podcasts. I know it's hard for you. The Manifest Destiny multiverse is getting robust. <laughs> robust. Um, okay. Well, glad that you're with us. Um, what else? We're, we're so excited to have a real guest. We have our cameras on. Um, we're not like animals. We normally keep them off. <laughs> and before, before we started recording, I was like, this is great. We'll have to treat him with respect because we're, we're really mean to Lisa. So Lisa, yeah, if you're listening. Sorry. Shout out to Lisa. We love you. We love you, Lisa, but Gibson is going to, he's going to get the royal treatment. So take us away. What, what are we talking about? Um, so... You're going first. Oh, right. I am going first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well, we just want to preface it by saying that it's Pride Month. Shout out to Pride. Shout out to Pride. Happy Pride. We are All not, Gibson. we're not sponsored by Pride. We're not one of those corporations that sold out. We're just appreciative. That's it. So, we're not getting any money from Big Pride. So what I'm here to do is kind of just set the scene for what becomes like the what becomes like the focal point of the pride movement and obviously something that has been really washed out of history in a lot of meaningful ways but in other ways it still continues to be impactful on every level in every setting um cuz we're going to talk about the 80s guys and <laughs> it is going to get real and I will just say it was an exceedingly dark time in America and I originally was going to do an idea on Bernie Getz, a Subway 
shooter vigilante and then i thought read the room blair yeah i don't even want to read this article i don't think we want to listen to it so i'm like what can we do to just get us bopping a little bit just setting the stage for the world that gibson's going to bring us into and my answer for you is mtv and it's i want in a, my mtv i want my go. mtv well we're going to get into that that's that's a crazy story so i Basically, I'm just going to do the history of MTV at its glory days in the 80s because people don't realize how impactful it was, how important it was. It changed the music industry forever. It changed advertising forever. It changed everything about, like, the way people dress. We'll get into it. Um, I think it changed content marketing, really. I mean, like, the whole MTV, like, all of it, like... Yeah. And and then I just don't want to I just in case we get lost in the shuffle before we talk about the reality TV of it all and how literally the only thing that plays on MTV now is ridiculousness. I would like <laughs> It's what I mean, MTV I'm, deserves. No, it's just crazy. It's like a solid 16-hour blocks of ridiculousness. Um which I hate. That show makes my skin crawl. Um but I do want to ask both of you guys first, what's your favorite MTV reality show? Ever. And I've had time to think about this today. You can do subcategory competition and then category reality at large. So my answer. um, Go first. Just going first. I'm saying my favorite was Pimp My Ride. Oh, which so is the craziest thing where they would literally be like, so "Yeah, I good. like fish," and they'd be like, "Cool, you have a full-on aquarium in your car now. You have a mini so shark in the trunk of your car." <laughs> I feel like Gibson, and then I also really loved um. I loved um, the show where your parents, parental control. Yes. It was like they hated the boyfriend and then they would watch you go on other dates with your boyfriend. Yeah. So good. That Um, was a great one. That was a great one. And then, I mean, I also just really loved True Life. (laughs) I would say True as a docuseries was incredible. Hard-hitting journalism for the time. I mean. And we'll touch on the real world a little bit and how groundbreaking that really was. That was in 92. But yeah, I mean, True Life taught me everything. Everything you need to know. I mean, the dating shows were so trash. Remember Next? Like, oh, cool. oh my God. Ne- I think about the so... Next bus all the time. Every time I see a bus. Yeah, literally Next. <laughs> oh. I'm like, I hope there's five hot singles waiting to go on a date right room now. Room writers, when they would like go into their room and go through their shit oh my and God, decide I'm if they so wanted to date them. I'm so glad we're talking about this. So and good. every like six episodes, like someone would find a vibrator and you'd yes! be like coming up next. That's a slut. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. My so, super sweet 16. Oh my god! Oh my god! I Cribs. Okay. Wow. Are we too old for you, Gibson? Are you? So not I yeah, to be Gibson. Honest, I like oh, did not watch a lot of MTV reality TV. Oh my gosh, um, Gibson! Yikes. I totally I set seen, you up for failure. I know. I've seen some episodes of Next. Uh, well, okay, I've seen one episode of Next. It's the gay episode, and it was <laughs> one the best was. one. <laughs> well, in celebration of Friday, well, I forgot that I obviously knew that Gibson's family was not, they weren't really allowed to watch TV or like any fun Yeah, TV. we had, like, we could watch TV. We just had limited amounts that we could watch. So we were big into like yeah. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Love it. Oh my God. The original, obviously, um, I would hope. Yeah. Um, PBS. I love me some oh, Cyber Chase. Zoom. Zoom. <laughs> Cyber Zoom? Chase. Like, Yo, Zoom was the best. I can Zoom talk all day. Good. Zoom was so so many characters, so many strong personalities you imagine were clashing backstage. I could do a whole podcast on Zoom. God. I mean, I love Zoom. Arthur. Arthur. Which I recently mean, ended. And also, also Mr. Rappern got gay married. Yeah, I mean, that's pride. <laughs> Mr. Rappern is a queer icon. Like, yes. Yeah, I'm so glad we're talking about that. That's my okay. idea today is Mr. Rappern. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's the culture that people are here for. Didn't mean to put you on absolute blast, Gibson, but I'm now feeling a little bit left out because I wasn't a big PBS gal because Ooh, my oh, parents wow. were 
My parents were literally just like, let your mind rot. We, yeah, <laughs> we're late. The we only time I watched these shows were at other people's houses because my mom was a PBS mom through and through. Like, and a Jeopardy yeah. household only. That and the original Star Trek were the only things we were allowed to watch at night. And we're like, all right. We're gonna be nerdy Trekkies. The, or- the original. We're gonna be huge Trekkies. Um, yeah, I, I like. Yeah, so I've seen every MTV show imaginable. Sure. It's actually kind of crazy that I can even read or like com- speak in sen- in complete sentences. Sometimes I really do think TV you have a time turner because you watch so much TV and read more books than any other person I know. And I'm like, where is the time? Where are you getting? That's why I'm such good friends with. Um, Gibson's sister Grace because she was deprived of all this TV as a child and now she watches more TV than me and like we just love like you've never like I thought I would never meet someone that loves TV as much as I do but she really does so anyway let's let's get into so I'm glad we set set that up I hope that was fun for everybody at home (laughs) DM us if you're a PBS kid or an MTV girl um but basically MTV was hit the airwaves in August 1st, 1981. And basically this happened when Amex acquired Time Warner and they were literally just trying to like find a way to sell more credit cards and like get people to sign up for their credit cards. I mean, I guess it's like advertising. It's 80s capitalism, baby. It's at the heart of everything. But they kind of pioneered the concept of like around the clock programming. Like, so there's the really obvious, like CNN was such an obvious in like people want around the clock news, like people want around the clock movies. So the HBO was there first offspring of that. So they were kind of pioneering this idea of around the clock television. They were like, well, like, let's do it for for music. And people kind of thought it was like a terrible idea at first. Um, They said no to the original pitch. Um, It was pitched to them as radio with pictures. Um, and then so they then they it got the whole channel got approved that it would be cheap to run because record companies would give you the music videos for free. So it's like it's crazy because even a music video is just a commercial for that band and that song. You know what I mean? So like MTV kind of like paved this way of like just pure 80s commercialism in like just such a wild way. Um so it was approved for launch in 1981, um, but they only had seven ma- months to build it because they were like, this has to come out on August 1st because we want it to be like what the kids are talking about when they get back to school. And like that to this day has set a cycle for trends to like come out at the end of the summer so that it's like really pushed on you in the final days of your spring of your summer break. You're like, oh shit, I only have like 10 days to get a Kangol hat. And then you come into <laughs> school and everything's amazing. But it, it really is crazy because like, when you think about like the VMAs to this day, they plan the VMAs to be like the last weekend that you're home from school before so- b- the f- that you're home before school starts, and it's it's just become this like huge hype machine. And there's always like the one crazy thing that happened at the VMAs. It's like just a production hype beast machine at this point. I feel like I've said hype beast more in the last two minutes than I've ever thought I could. Um, <laughs> but I thought that that like as a business model, it's really fascinating, fascinating that like. Yeah it kind of spun out of this idea of like, oh no, we can just have commercials all the time. There should be nothing stopping us from producing commercials. The content um, is commercials. Like, yeah, and then so add much product, product placement, placement in and you really, yeah. you're making bank. Yeah, yeah. like well, Von so, Dutch search, like the chokehold they had on all of those shows, like all of those little things that would then like, you'd go to the store and like have to have it and buy it. I mean, it was such like a multifaceted consumer machine. So, I know, I know. We're really talking about like the early aughts MTV, yeah, which know. is important to talk about. We should get into that, but like, but I think that talks about the legacy that we'll get into of, like, creating this, like, 
aspirational lifestyle that's like also somewhat attainable. It's like, yeah, yeah no, I can't live in like Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson's house, but like I can afford a $45 Von Dutch hat, even yeah. if that is a wild amount of money to pay for, <laughs> for an ugly hat. Yeah. <laughs> for an ugly hat. Yeah. I, I'm just glad we're touching on Von Dutch because I got one like the day they stopped being cool. Like I like saved up, was so excited, went to the mall, finally got it. And everybody's like, oh my God, like oh, I can't gosh. believe you're wearing that. Like, whatever. So, um, so anyway, just in terms of trend setting and like fad forecasting, MTV was on the forefront. And then, so they started the first video ever played on MTV. This is a fun piece of trivia I already knew. Does anybody know? No. 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 It, they played um, by the Buggles, a song called Video Killed the Radio Star. Iconic. So they were like, oh, we're, we're being ironic. We're winking at it. And then the second song they did, Pat Benatar, You Better Run. Wow. Programmed as a warning shot to record companies who are still skeptical about MTV. Okay. Wow. Fine. I know. So they came out as like kind of being like cult- countercultural and cool. And um, this is a really interesting tidbit. And I feel like you'll like this, Rebecca, because you're so British. But like it began with only about 250 music videos that were on the rotation. And um, it's kind of what started the second British invasion with like The Clash, The Cure, yeah. like Bananarama, like. Billy Idol, Flock of Seagulls, you know, Soft Cell. I'll keep naming bands Yeah, if you keep want. going. I'm loving it. <laughs> no, but it's because they kind of already had those music videos, like, yeah. ready to go in the early 80s. And everybody and else was kind of, like, slow to catch. It was a huge platform immediately. Um, and and making really that jump across the pond is so hard for artists. Like, that's often where a lot of them stall is, like, getting playtime on a U.S.-driven exactly. platform. But because so they huge. just... Because they randomly already had music videos that they gave to this company for free. They all got really famous um, or it was like a major factor. Um, And (laughs) also it's really interesting because they kind of launched this in like small towns first. And like it was – and then it went out to the bigger cities like over time as MTV got more popular. So it was like, oh, do you live in MTV town or not? Like that was like the cool thing back then. Um, And – people first noticed it because they were like, why are all these kids in like Indianapolis buying like Duran Duran albums? Like this is like, they literally couldn't figure it out. Like there, it was like a puzzling thing. And then they're like, Oh no. Um, so it obviously creates this huge, um, so transitions to a quick fun fact about Duran Duran. They saw MTV and like, they're like, we can break the ban in America. If we just make the craziest music video ever, that'll get people talking a visionary. This man's a visionary. So he's like, I want to make a video featuring a catwalk show with models, sumo wrestling and sex that the video was for girls on film and like MTV edited a little bit, but it still caused a stir, gets the attention that they wanted. And suddenly every band wants to make a video like that. Like every band wants to be like, create this crazy video that everybody's always going to talk about. And like, that's still the model of like yeah. how to get your song noticed, which is insane with like Vimeo. Like yeah. it's not even about MTV anymore, but it's like the music videos have such a symbiotic relationship now with like getting airplay and like creating hype. I mean, um, I take it a step further and say TikTok is the next end of that. Yeah, like, I feel that's like I'm where it's going from the TikTok artists that they're like, the labels are forcing us to make TikToks. Yeah. And if the song doesn't go viral on TikTok, then it's not yeah. getting promoted. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's a huge problem. Who was it that just... Oh, was it Halsey? I think it might have been, yeah. Yeah, Halsey just came out with a TikTok where she was like, my label is literally forcing me to pretend to, like, soft leak a video of me singing. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's um, so dumb. But interesting, but, no less. The next frontier. Um, 
Yes, exactly. But so then very interesting fact. So MTV lost $50 million in its first year, despite all the buzz. Um, but it wasn't because they only had 250 videos like for free and they needed to convince record companies to like spend a lot of money making big extravagant videos to like expand the roster um, and the appeal so that they'd get more advertiser. But they were like, the record companies were just slow to come around. Story of the record company, story of the record industry is like, Period. you guys need to learn how to adapt here. Yeah. Um, but they could see, like, they could see the sales spikes in MTV towns. So they were like, we're a little bit interested, but we're not that interested. So they were like, we need to get people into, like, we needed more homes. So they come up with a big advertising campaign consisting of four little words, I want my MTV. And so, like, I guess this is kind of before our time, too. But I want my MTV. I want my MTV. Like, my mom definitely remembers all that stuff. But um, they really wanted a big, big name to do it. And so they were like, oh, we, we, want, we want to get Mick Jagger. So they flew, they fly in to meet Mick Jagger. And Mick Jagger's like, the Rolling Stones don't do commercials. Hell yeah. And then one of the MTV guys was like, the Rolling Stones just did a tour that was sponsored by a perfume company, Mick. <laughs> And he was like, okay, okay. I see your point. Well taken. Well, he was like, well, he says the Rolling Stones only do commercials when they're paid a lot of money. And, um, like, fair point back, Mick. Game, set, match. So MTV didn't have the budget at all um, for the Rolling Stones, obviously. But then a cocky executive threw down a $1 bill and told Jagger that's all they could afford. And Jagger loved the confidence, and he agreed to do it for $1. Wow. And, yeah, so. Jagger but, loves big dick energy. To, you know, just he to, might have like, to, to be a white man. Can you imagine sitting across the table from Mick Jagger and just slamming a $1 bill on the table and be like, I want you to do this. For mono no to mono. Yeah. Wow. Can you imagine um, having a dollar to spend? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, no, really, who has that? Can you imagine Not having this a economy. roof over your head? Um, yeah. So anyway, so once word got around that Rolling Stones are doing it, it's like all these other singers were like, oh, I'll do like, I'll do I, I want my MTV commercial. Um, and it was... So basically, uh, oh wow, that's so crazy! Oh, okay, wow. <laughs> just doing your research right now. Just so I clear. didn't read this part before, but um, but basically, all these people that were in cable, like people, were calling into their cable stations and calling into their like cable providers and be like, "I want my MTV, I want my MTV." To the extent that it literally got them to get MTV into these other places and like extended the reach of the channel. Wow! 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 That's that's insane. Um, Live and- learning. Live learning. And um, what's also really cool about music videos that didn't exist before is that it's kind of become a nursery for, like, Hollywood directors to, like, cut their teeth and, like, get exposure and, like, show what they can do in, like, a smaller, lower-budget format than a movie. So, like, Michael Bay and David Fincher were both, like, very noted music video um, directors in the 80s prior to getting, like, their breaks as, like, directorial debuts. Um, And then... This is where it gets a little bit 80s, a little bit racist. Um, Very few black artists make it onto MTV, and people are noticing as it starts to thrive because, again, this is, like, the height of rap, the height of, like, there's so much cool stuff happening in, like, R&B and rap music at that time. Um, And Rick James is super – so they they were, like, we – it doesn't fit the album-oriented rock format of MTV is what they said about the black artists. And then Rick Rick James's Super Freak was one of the excluded videos – and Rick James called out MTV for being racist. And MTV's head of talent, original head of talent, is like, 
I didn't play it because I'm a black woman and there were half naked black women in it. And it was a piece of crap. Like as a black woman, I didn't want that representing my people as a first black video on MTV. So like complicated issue, but like basically very like a lot of finger pointing at MTV about like people being super defensive about why certain albums are getting um, excluded. Certain artists are just they're like, we don't bother because we like we know that they're not going to play our videos on MTV, so they're not even sending it. So there's just like this very real bias and like kind of push pull between black artists and MTV for in the early years, which is really crazy to think about. Um, And then guess. okay, and and let's all guess now. Who do you think broke this color barrier in MTV? Mike Jackson. Yes! Oh my god, you guys are so smart! Okay, wait, that was the exact time. Nailed it. Um, very good timing. I was getting nervous there. But so well, we both watched 19... a lot of Jeopardy when we were growing up. Yeah, <laughs> who is PBS Michael Jackson? Kids. Yep. Um, so anyway, Michael Jackson really struggled to get on MTV prior to 1983, which is insane. Yeah, I mean, it's Michael like, Jackson. He, this is literally, he's putting out Thriller, and he submitted the video for Billie Jean. And he's like, I'm not even sure if they're going to air it. Like, they literally weren't going to air Billie Jean. We're going to air Thriller. Like, this is, like, the number one album ever. But they were like, no, it doesn't fit our, like, rock album aesthetic at MTV. Psycho. And then um, CBS Records, the head of it, Walter Yetnikov, um, who was representing Michael Jackson, it was like, I will pull every single artist from my catalog from MTV if you don't play Michael Jackson right now. Wow. Like he wow. had Billy Joel, Sidney Lauper, Bruce Springsteen. Like he had so many white people that they needed that like, so yeah, Walter Yetnikoff, like say wow. his name, like real ally. What's his birthday? Um, no idea. He's definitely not famous enough to have a Wikipedia page. He is a literal <laughs> he random should be. Yeah, he should be. We should he, add one. We should start adding to Wikipedia as we, like, come across people that we deem now. important like, enough to have their birthday yeah. on Wikipedia. And we're just reaching out to their, like, families. I mean, he's I have probably, a White Pages subscription. I can find half these people. probably still alive. This was, like, less than 30 years Ancestry. ago. Ancestry.com has got you covered. They are not our sponsor, but they could be. They could be. Hit us up, Ancestry. Um, Wait, okay. Okay. Never mind. Oh. He does have a Wikipedia page. He died this year. (gasps) Oh, he died in August 2021. Oh, my God. R.I.P. And guess where? He was born in Brooklyn and died in Bridgeport in the cut. Wow. In in the cut. Wow. Okay. Wow. And August 11th, Leo. Wow. Big Leo, Leo energies. Big Standing Leo up for what he believes sense. in. We, okay, we don't have time to deep dive into Walter Yekinoff because but Gibson did we? legitimate research. <laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs> we should honor this man <laughs> who's not going to be learning new facts as he reads. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, but so that was really crazy. So Walter Yekinoff was like, okay. Um, and then, so tensions are super high and then something big happened. Michael Jackson performs during a television special to commemorate Motown's 25th anniversary. And he takes to the stage to perform Billy Jean in a fedora, black sequin jacket, and glove. Glove Mid-performance, Jackson debuts his iconic moonwalk and people oh, just lose it. it. It was like people seeing Elvis for the first time. And after that, Thriller began to sell a million copies a week, and Jackson was like a certified solo artist. And, wow. you know, MTV just had no choice but to come around, put Billy Jean in a high rotation. Um, and here's another crazy thing I learned on the subject of Michael Jackson. Who do you think um, coined the term King of Pop for Michael Jackson? Did he coin it himself? Yes, Gibson. Wow. Who is he coined wow. himself? Gibson, he- double jeopardy. 
he no this is like really crazy i mean whatever you think about michael jackson because he is a pedophile and a very mentally ill person but in 1991 he sent a memo to mtv demanding all vjs refer to as the king of pop wow and claims the network owes him a debt of gratitude in his role for helping to build the channel's reputation and and it was also to be an apology for the days that they refused to play his music videos. So MTV VJs right, were literally required to call him the king of pop on air at least twice a week. Wow. Um, in the lead up to his new song, to, in the lead up to him releasing Black or White. Um, and he's just like, I just don't think it's fair. Like, why does everybody call Bruce Springsteen the boss and Elvis the king? And I'm not the king of pop. Like, yeah. I want to be, I want I want it all. Get yours. Um, so... Obviously, in light of what we know now about Michael Jackson, that's a less charming anecdote, but it, it does go to show you that money talks. <laughs> you make enough money for somebody, they're going to have to call you the king of pop. <laughs> On air, twice On a week. <laughs> um, and so anyway, what I also thought was really interesting is like we have this like really strained relationship between the artists and then we also I had no idea but by 1984 the music channel is no longer considered a fad um but Madonna's second album was like a virgin like a prayer like she had a whole other first album that didn't do well it was like kind of doing okay in like dance halls but she but she came out with a like a virgin video and and was and kind of people knew who she was after that, but it wasn't, she didn't really truly blow up until she sh- performed at the first MTV VMAs in the giant wedding cake and, and, and oh, wedding yeah. dress. Um, and then her odd dance moves, that quote from this article, morphed into a lot of thriving and humping. Oh, um, love it. So it's really interesting. Like the Madonna example, she was like a nobody artist until she like did something outrageous on MTV and like did all this crazy stuff. And then like airplay begets more crazy behavior begets more airplay like she's just one example and like the first and strongest example of like what has become the model for the music industry in general and it's really interesting because prior to this it's like people would just like listen to bands and like didn't really know much about like the people but like this created a weird platform where people were like talking about music like going on to promote their music whereas before it was more like profiles and like print media was more of the medium for the record industry. And then, um, and then night, so it was pretty much a 24 hour music channel until like 1992 hits. They air the real world. We had some good years in there and now it's just back to back ridiculousness, but it is, it is the eighties. It was the moment. It was truly iconic. And like everyone that is over the age of 40, like has their favorite. I want my MTV commercial. And all you got to do is like, call people up like that's democracy at work just call up your cable provider and say i want my mtv and what's more manifest destiny than that what's than more taking control of your cable like it's love so it. true so true anyway so those were just some fun facts i learned i didn't even really go for a straightforward history but yeah that's that's all i got for you guys i mean the implications are pretty far reaching like it, it mm-hmm. seems to like also be a little bit of a microcosm of the moment so i i'm here for it I'm yeah. here for my MTV. I I'm here for that. That was very yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it was super interesting, and I also just think it does, like, help set the stage for this, like, complete 80s, like, laissez-faire, like, excess yeah. environment that was just, like, really wild. Yeah. And the 80s right. is having its resurgence now. Is how we what? It's having its resurgence right now. I feel like uh, Stranger Things... 
Is that set in the eighties? Set in the eighties. Yeah. Stranger Things. Like, I can't. Kate Bush. Kate Bush is running up that hill, oh, right? Yeah. No, I'm glad you're spot. talking about this because I have been a secret underground Kate Bush fan for years. I have loved her for so Rebecca, long, and she deserves not that the recognition she's getting. Now. It's not that much of a not secret. Not of a Rebecca's, secret. Rebecca's, Every time I have more than two glasses of wine, any variety really, I put on <laughs> Wuthering Heights. Do you do the dance? And do the dance. Me That's too. what I do. That's all I do. Wait, what's the dance? Oh Guys, my God, you really feel like you're you're ganging up on me as intellectuals. <laughs> Run, don't walk to Kate Bush, Wuthering Heights, which is her singing the story of Wuthering Heights, doing yeah. the most insane interpretive dance. <laughs> so cold, let me into your window. It's so good. <laughs> she has I, a lot I, of, like, I can't tell you. Oh my God. I can tell that it's going to be really crazy it's just from the screen. wild. Grab. We're going to take a break and come back after Blair has watched Wuthering Heights. This. And then Gibson's going to take it away. So, and in the meantime, okay. you guys can enjoy these messages from our one and only sponsor, King of Our Heart Anchor. Anchor. You know, you love to hear it. Guys, we are back with Gibson um, after some manic energy regarding music television in 1980s we are getting into it with gibson gibson talk to us hi um hi. so for pride month i wanted to talk about well let's see for pride month last year i talked about stonewall which was a huge um huge moment in the the gay liberation movement um and you know flash forward um a couple decades and you find another huge moment um, in the, the, the fight for equality, um, but it's a, a lot more tragic. Um, and so this, this week, um, I want to talk about the AIDS epidemic. Um, but more specifically, I wanted to talk about ACT UP, which was a grassroots direct action organization that really forced the country and the world at large to confront AIDS uh, when so many would have rather just turned a blind eye. Uh, ACT UP's direct action really changed the way that America was addressing or not addressing the epidemic and the effects of their activism can still be seen today. So to set the scene, the year is 1981, MTV has just launched. Uh, Ronald Reagan is the president, which is going to be important later. Uh, and in many states, you can still be fired for being gay. Likewise, in many states, gay sex is outright illegal. And in July of that year, articles start appearing about a rare cancer found in gay men. And that cancer turns out to be something called Kaposi's sarcoma, which affects individuals with immune deficiencies, immune deficiencies like AIDS. And initially, the CDC refers to this mysterious illness as GRID, gay-related immune deficiency disorder. And by the end of 1981, there have been 337 reported cases of the illness in the United States. And of those cases, 130 are dead by the end of the year. Oh, fast. Yeah. So it like... I didn't realize it was that quick of a depression. Yeah. It came Holy and shit. then, bam. So September of 1982, the CDC uses the term AIDS, uh, standing for Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. And at this point in history, AIDS is a death sentence. No one's surviving. Um, by the mid-1980s, the average time from diagnosis to death is 15 months. Wow. Yeah. People wow. with HIV and AIDS are facing huge amounts of discrimination. There's no viable treatment available. The FDA is slow walking drug approvals. If you're a single man who lives in a predominantly gay neighborhood, or if you have a quote unquote gay job like hairdresser, some insurance companies won't cover you. And what? yeah, isn't that wild? 
And then Can they say that's why they're not covering you? I don't know. I in mean, the eighties, probably. Yeah, they're like we're not the same protection, like law, like legal protections uh, at the time. Wow. Um, and so beyond all of that, the president is staying silent. Is, is staying silent. Uh, Reagan doesn't publicly utter the name of the disease until September of nineteen eighty-five, which is four years after the first news reports about the virus had come out. And even then, it was only because he was asked about it at a news conference. He doesn't actually give a major speech about AIDS until 1987, after 36,058 Americans have already become infected, of wow. whom 20,849 have died. So and he just so didn't address it up until that point? He it was didn't just address like, it up until that point. Wow. Yeah. He was like, the White House what was remaining. he like... Sorry, I'm just like, my mind is so blown by the numbers. I guess it's like you would think I learned more in the last two years about how viruses like flower and spread. But like that is just shocking to me that it started out so small and happened that quickly. Yeah. And that it's like well, also that they didn't know how it was spread at first, right? They didn't realize. Um, yeah. Blood, blood I mean, that's so crazy. Or, or through sexual contact. Um, I mean, there was a lot of conversation about it being transmitted through spit. So that was like a, a huge myth that had to get dispelled eventually. Um, I don't know about you guys, but in like health class in, in like middle school, we like still watched those like videos about like, yeah. you can't get AIDS from, from kissing or water fountains. Yeah. So I mean, but like, when did they figure out that it was sexually transmitted? You know, I don't actually know. I didn't. I mean, I mean, I'm sure I could find that answer out. I no, just no, 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 Gibson. You don't do a <laughs> lick done more research. Yeah. You've done enough. You're here. You're here. You've done seventy five percent more than Blair on any given <laughs> Sunday. On any given Sunday, don't worry about it. Um, but that, yeah, no, that's just very. That's just crazy. Like the virology of it, and it is crazy just to think back to like not knowing how it was spread, not knowing like why it was affecting you. Like, I feel like it created, like, such a wild stigma in the gay community. And, like, I – have you ever read The Great Believers? I feel like I talk about this all the You time. have talked about this book. This is you the have, third episode. It. You've talked about Oh, my God. You guys, you need to talk – you guys need to read it. It's so good. It's about AIDS, the AIDS epidemic in Chicago. And it talks about how it's, like, was common, if not, like, wrote to have two funerals, like, one for the family and one for the friends because, like, the family didn't want to be, like, exposed yeah. – not just not acknowledged, but also just like we're like I don't want to die, like I don't really? want to be near these people. Wow, yeah, like, like, it was like a huge thing when Princess Di like went and visited that yeah, yes. hospital with AIDS patients, with AIDS patients. Like, and it was just like a like yeah. what a moment that like a straight person was interacting with someone who was HIV positive. Anyway, so I think uh, a quote that I found that I think really sums it up um, is by an author, Sarah Shulman, who wrote, Let the Record Show, a Political History of Act Up New York from 1987 to 1993. And she said uh, that gay men at the time were a despised group of people with no rights, facing a terminal disease for which there were no treatments, abandoned by their families, government, and society. And it's in the face of all of that that Act Up is born. So there were already activist groups like Gay Men's Health Crisis, and they were providing counseling, um, but some people felt like not enough was being done. And Larry Kramer is one of the more well-known of these activists, and he's like big mad. And uh, Larry Kramer was born on June 25th of 1935, so that makes him a... A cancer. cancer. Same birthday as Jen. Shout out to oh, Jen. shout out to Jen. So, yes, very protective um, maternal 
energy. Cancers are very, um, like, they're the ultimate feminine sign. Like, they're, but they're also, like, a real leadership sign. Like, they they really practice a lot of soft control. Like, you want to follow them. like that really defines Jen. Uh, yeah. Like, shout out to Jen. Haven't seen you Jen. in 10 years. What's up, girl? <laughs> um, congrats on the baby. <laughs> but I do think that, um, yeah, but so cancers are very emotional. Like, it's just like a still waters run deep situation, like all water signs, but especially cancers. Like, they really live in the past. Like, my mom's a cancer, and she can literally be as mad about a fight that we got in when I was 13. As if it happened this morning. Like, it is some of the wildest stuff ever. It's just, like, everything is kind of fluid. Um, So, yeah. So, it totally makes sense to me that this man would be an activist because it's, like, I don't know. I just really do think that water signs feel feelings deeper and is probably, like, more incentivized to act. Yes. And and act. He did. Act up, in fact. Act Um, up. Yes. Love that. So, Kramer is really pushing for that in-your-face direct action. And in March of 1987... ACT UP, or the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, is formed. Um, ACT UP is a really... Ooh, I love an acronym. Right? I, I did not. Acronym. I thought it was just ACT UP. Like, just no, do it. it's, it's like, an acronym, yeah. Wow. Um, and it's a very unique organization. And it's, it's still around today, but obviously it was, is not nearly as, as active as it, as it once was. Um, and it was a unique organization. It had no formal leadership. It was kind of a chaotic, democratic, public square of an organization. And it was really rooted in grassroots organizing, um, very public action that the people who had been trying to ignore the epidemic just couldn't turn away from. Uh, It had a motto of united in anger. And Anne Northrup, who was one of the organization's leaders, um, is quoted as saying that actions are always, always planned to be dramatic enough to capture public attention. So the first uh, demonstration that ACT UP holds takes place at the intersection of Wall Street and Broadway, and Blair, I'm sure you know where that is as a New Yorker. Wait, what in Bla- what uh, in Broadway? Wall Street and Broadway. Oh, all the way downtown, baby. All the way Pretty downtown. On the water. And it was, uh, I imagine still is, a very, very busy intersection. And yeah. so they and plan- that's where, like, the banks are. Yes, and they planned this one for, for uh, morning rush hour time to really disrupt everything. And the group was specifically targeting the company that made AZT, which was the only approved AIDS drug at the time, and it had only recently been approved. Um, and it costs $10,000 a year, which today would be the equivalent to, 20, to, to around $25,000 a year. So just com- completely unaffordable, um, especially for the people who needed it most. The pharmaceutical uh, industry being predatory? I know. Wild, right? Crazy in this country. So some of the initial demands from that first protest were the release of life-saving drugs by the FDA, the availability of affordable drugs enacting policies to end age-related discrimination in the workplace, in housing, insurance, and in medical treatment. And the protest made an impression, right? It was picked up by national news, and it twisted the arm of the FDA commissioner enough that he had to hold a press conference uh, that night. And the organization just kept protesting. They were pushing for accelerated approvals of drugs, for fair treatment under the law, for public education about HIV and AIDS, um, they would hold die-ins where they would block traffic or access to buildings. Uh, they would crash scientific conferences. Uh, they famously interrupted mass at St. Patrick's Cathedral um, to protest the Catholic Church's um, stance wow. on homosexuality. Like, what did they do? Uh, they, they just, just like, crashed it? Crashed it. And All went in? Basically made it so that the mass couldn't continue. 
Wow. Um, they wrapped North Carolina Senator Jesse Helms' house in a giant yellow condom. Uh-huh. They love that. Yeah. His house? His house. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know the logistics of it, but apparently it was but like... But it happens. Yeah. It's like while you were sleeping, you like, he like you woke wake up, up and opened his window. It's and like you've it's been toilet paper, but condomed instead. Condomed. Wow. Um, ACT UP really understood that most people thought that AIDS wouldn't affect them personally, that it was a gay disease. And because of that, people didn't feel pressure to do anything about it. So ACT UP really forced them to confront AIDS. One of the things that they also did was form committees. They formed a women's committee because people thought that it was a gay man's disease and that women were even being excluded from drug trials and even some statistics about, about HIV and AIDS. Um, there was a famous quote from ACT UP um, that is, um, women don't get AIDS, they just die from it. And uh, they formed a needle exchange committee because no one was really trying to prevent the spread of disease amongst uh, IV drug users. They formed a housing committee because there were a lot of homeless people with AIDS who needed housing. And uh, one of their more well-known committees was the science committee. Uh, it was just average people who were doing this research on immunology and virology. Doctors were at the point of referring their patients to ACT UP because ACT UP was so knowledgeable at that point. Um, one gentleman on the science committee, Mark Harrington, uh, he was an ACT UP member who had no formal scientific training. He eventually won a MacArthur Genius Grant for his work on AIDS. So they were really taking, taking the burden on themselves because no one else was. Um, one of the things that they understood really well was the power of iconography and of art. So Grand Fury was this artist's collective that emerged from ACT UP. They created the Silence Equals Death posters that you might have seen with the inverted pink triangle. Um, they wanted to, to harken back to the pink triangles that gay men were forced to wear in Nazi concentration camps. And they really wanted uh, people to understand that turning a blind eye and letting gay men die of AIDS was akin to genocide. Um, one of the most impactful protests that they held in my mind was the Ashes Action. Um, it took place in Washington, D.C. in the fall of 1992, and then again in the fall of 1996. Um, and I'm just going to read a portion of the copy from the 1992 invitation. You have lost someone to AIDS. For more than a decade, your government has mocked your loss. George Bush believes that the White House gates shield him from you, your loss, and his responsibility for the AIDS crisis. Now it's time to bring AIDS home to George Bush. On October 11th, we will carry the actual ashes of people we love in funeral, uh, in funeral procession to the White House. In an act of grief and rage and love, we will deposit their ashes on the White House lawn. Um, and that's exactly what they did. Um, the ashes actions always stand out to me because, um, you know, I think nowadays it's really difficult to grasp just how high the stakes were for those who were most at risk of contracting HIV. Um, but it, it was a plague and the people with the most power weren't doing enough, um, either because it wasn't politically expedient or because of their own homophobia. And I think the fact that people were driven to the point of throwing their friends and lovers' physical ashes on the White House lawn just speaks to how desperately they were trying to force someone to do something about this crisis. This is just an aside, but have you seen How to Survive a Plague? Oh my gosh, I was going to mention it later on as my Oh uh, my god, I'm so more. glad we're talking about it. because Yeah, no, because I saw that years ago. It's on. It, it was on HBO. I don't know yeah, if it still is. Yeah, I don't know is. It is now. 
But yeah, I feel like I felt like the narrative was extremely hard to follow and I was very confused the entire time. Like I yeah, just like I, I was just like that. it was a lot of like meetings. Like I was just like okay, I really understand the urgency of this, but, like, I just, like, it just could have benefited from, like, a narrator or, yes. like... but it does have a lot of nice archival footage. Yeah, no, it, it does. But, like, that is the one thing that, like, totally stuck with me was them throwing the ashes on the White House lawn and how crazy that was and, like, them just, like, sobbing and, like, random tourists walking by and it was just, yeah. like, so taboo. It's nuts to think about now. So ACT UP ended up being a largely successful organization. The FDA shortened its drug approval process by two years, um, a process that could normally take nine years. Uh, they also adopted a parallel track approach, which allowed select drugs to be made available to HIV positive patients while they were still undergoing efficacy tests. It was kind of like that, hey, like this is a death sentence, so let us try anything. Um, in July of 1990, Congress prohibited discrimination against people living with HIV and AIDS through the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, the model of the patient advisory boards in pharmaceutical science that ACT UP helped pioneer is still common today. And it's estimated that around 23 million people are alive today thanks to the drugs that ACT UP members helped to pioneer. Wow. Yeah. Uh, ACT UP's actions and its fight for progress during the AIDS epidemic has had a massive impact on almost all Americans today. Um, Anthony Fauci. Uh, who was the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases during the AIDS epidemic, um, was, of course, a, a target of ACT UP's ire. And um, his ability to address COVID today was in some ways formed in the crucible of the AIDS epidemic. But Wow. So you think it's like the guilt carrying him? I don't know that it's the guilt carrying him. I think that he had obviously a very... Um, fraught relationship with the activists, but I think that a, a number of the activists at least look back on Anthony Fauci as one of the one of the people who actually helped to to move things forward, um, who ended up kind of being an, an ally in the long run. Um, so wow. while I wouldn't have said that at the time, years later, um, many of them did did look back um, on him with um, with respect. Um, ACT UP also fought for that parallel track approach uh, to treatments for deadly diseases, which ended up being a precursor to the emergency youth authority the emergency use authorizations um, that have allowed for COVID tests and vaccines and treatments to be developed so quickly and released so quickly. So ACT UP's direct action in the 80s and the 90s has had a huge effect on the FDA's policies on emergency management, which I think we are all really familiar with today. Um, on a personal note, the work that ACT UP has done has really allowed me as a gay man to, to live my life without thinking about HIV daily. Um, uh, there's now a daily medication known as PrEP that prevents HIV infection, which myself and just about every other gay man that I know takes. Um, those living with HIV are able to receive treatment that prevents HIV from affecting their quality of life or their lifespan. And eventually many of those who are living with HIV become undetectable, which means that the viral load in an HIV individual's blood has become so minimal that today's monitoring tests can't detect it. Um, and the research is now so conclusive that um, those who are undetectable can't transmit the virus. So undetectable means untransmittable, which um, can go a long way to destigmatizing um, HIV as a virus. ACT UP laid the groundwork for all this to happen. Um, they fought for a world in which AIDS was treatable, and as a result, they created a world in which HIV could potentially become eradicated. And 
it wasn't just by voting or by having the best arguments. It was by direct, in-your-face actions that made people uncomfortable, that forced people to confront issues that they would rather ignore. And we find ourselves now in a world where civil rights are under attack and where it feels like every headline is more horrific than the last. Um, I, it's a world where it feels easier to numb ourselves to the unpleasant realities of the country than to confront them head on. And I think that maybe we can look to ACT UP as a reminder that it's possible to change things. And that's not to say that it isn't difficult or dangerous or scary, but it is possible. Wow. Chills. Love that concluding argument. Gibson, amazing. Thank you. I worked really hard on it. I mean, (laughs) I'm like so moved. So is ACT UP still active? Like, ACT they... is still active. Um, some Great. of the initiatives they're working on now are um, helping to bring down the cost of um, PrEP, yeah. um, that daily medication, um, which, you know, pharmaceutical greed, right? Um, pharmaceutical greed. It's a theme. Yeah. I mean, like, I picked up a 90-day supply, and it was, like, $5,000. Oh, what? my God. What? Wait, what? Uh, and yeah. insurance will generally cover it, right? But you have to go through the the headache. You have to go through the like through all the hoops. The do um, you have to like re do you have to submit to insurance after or do they do it for you? Uh they'll do it for you, right? So like I um I don't I don't pay anything for it, right? Because insurance covers most yeah. all of it and then the company itself has like a copay assistance card. But if you don't um, have insurance, like there are government programs that wow. will help people. It's okay, like I good. had a, a close friend in Florida who didn't have insurance, um, and he was able to get it through through government. Um, through I government mean, program. it's more common than you think with millennials. Like a lot of us don't just be going around with a fat insurance card in our wallets. Like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And like, wow. I think ACT UP was one of the organizations that really brought it to government's attention. Yeah, attention that like this was a medication, right? Yeah. I talked to my doctor about it. What like five years ago and she did not know enough about it she had to refer me really? to really like a virologist what oh as if that's like not going to be an extra expense yeah so. i just really had it with the insurance <laughs> right the insurance. come on insurance i'm telling Step you socialized medicine baby let's go okay rebecca I always I'm, I'm right that. Here with you, rebecca. <laughs> all right so oh, i'm replacing blair like we well, said this last time and maybe this time i'll actually follow through much more well, that require land. all of us to fall through. I mean, which is not hard my to do. Point. Not a strong suit for me either. Wow. But yes, oh. they are still active today. I think their New York chapter is and has always been one of the more active ones. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, follow, subscribe, check out Act Like, Up. follow, subscribe, check them out. I'm, I imagine you can donate to them. I was about I to say, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Well, maybe they're not because political. I don't know. Well, it's the good yeah. kind of super pack, so it's fine. <laughs> exactly. Do you have any, like, resources, like, recommended, like, books, movies, shows, anything? Yeah. Like, so I, Survivor Plague, like, obviously. Survivor Plague is one if you want to see some archival yeah. footage. I actually think uh, if you're looking for something a little more narrative-driven um, and, I think, superior, um, there's a documentary called um, We Were Here. Um, about Wait, inferior or superior? Superior. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We Were Here. Okay, I'm writing that down. Who, which platform is... Uh... Um, let me find out. Gibson uh, doesn't work for this movie, Rebecca. We were... <laughs> he doesn't work for this podcast either. I do tell a lot of people about it. Um, 
we were here. I, well, it's available on Apple TV, but you have to buy oh, it. Oh, there you go. Room for rented. And same on Amazon Prime. I mean, if you're an ally, you'll spend some coins to Absolutely. stay with Please. I don't... I, Jane doesn't have that Apple TV money. The woman whose life I've assumed. So yeah, I'm going to have to if, invest. If you aren't willing to rent this movie, then you're homophobic. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Okay. Right. I mean, well, I don't make like the that. rules. I just... I just, just, I just don't like them. Yep. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> okay, well, I'm down. Um, okay, great. Uh, another, so I recently am in this celebrity memoir book club, also with Gibson's sister, and we recently read Jonathan Van Ness's oh. um, Over the Top memoir, in which it was really interesting lens with which to view HIV and AIDS because she he talks about, like... She's positive, right? Like... Yes. 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 Yeah. He, they are positive. Ooh. I think his... His? I think she, they. He, she, they? Okay. Well, she, I, I mean, wrong. she has a great sense of humor in the book. She's like, yeah. it changes all the time, girl. Yeah. You yeah, don't I mean, know. Yeah. Like, she like, call me whatever you want. But so he read John the Manassas and yeah, but his diagnosis is like, obviously like shattering. Like he's so upset. His mom is there and she's just like, like oh. her, his mom's reaction is like kind of broke me more. And then once I had like the information, I was kind of like, oh, this is not really that big of a deal. And I think he just is like maybe even perhaps at an undetectable level. But it was just like a very interesting like lens with which to view HIV wow. now. Um and it's also just a really funny book. So, All right. <laughs> if you're looking for like a like fun summer coming of age film, it's fiction. Um, it's called Always Three am. Always been months. looking to come of age it's in a, the summer. It's with Troy Sivan. You know, he's an okay actor. Ooh. It's an okay movie. It's kind of fun and easy. Um, Troy nice Sivan and I have the same birthday. Oh my gosh, really? Yes, June 5th, baby. Wow. It was just Blair's birthday. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Blair. Blair. 31. And um, uh, it's about this uh, high school um, high schooler who finds out that he's been exposed to HIV and he has to wait essentially three months to find out if he's actually positive or not. Oh and so he God. spends his whole summer kind of waiting. Oh my gosh. That's um, so crazy. Okay. And to, to bring it all back around, right, um, to MTV, the real world San Francisco made huge waves Damn, by yes. having Bringing one it back of the, around. Not the first um, openly HIV positive cast members on on television um which was a, a huge pedro pedro, pedro right say, it's i was oh gonna my say Pablo, but it's pedro yeah pedro i feel like R. he was R. already r.i.p and i feel like he was already really sick like on yeah. the show like i feel like they made such an intentional decision to be like this is fucking happening we're mtv yeah. like yeah um and it was early but, i mean that was like the one of the early MTV. seasons of yeah world. this that was probably like 93 94 yeah. my question if you don't know it's totally fine gibson but i am curious like when did the retrovirals and medicine become so good that it was no longer a death sentence like you had to like put it like year or like time frame ish on it even a decade because i feel like it was huh even a decade would do We're, even a decade was, would do i think mid 90s because okay. azt yeah. was not particularly effective right like yeah. azt would lower your viral load for like a few months maybe, um, and then it'd go back up. Um, there was a very controversial study with AZT where they were giving it to pregnant women in hopes that they could lower the viral load enough to the point that it wouldn't um, be passed down to their children, um, which ended up proving effective. Um, so uh, they, they were able to figure that out. Um, 
But as for when, like, the... I think it was a three-drug cocktail that really um, became a became the, the, the treatment in the end. Um, let me Google it. No, 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 no. No Googling allowed. You've done an example. We're vibes job. only. We're vibes, vibes only on this podcast. 19, you say okay. 95, 95, I believe 95. It is 95, yeah. It uh, is 95. Uh, okay, okay great. Don't judge drug, yourself. Uh, treatment known as the AIDS cocktail was introduced. Um, and I believe that Ooh, was cocktail. one of the more I love times. that it is such a fun name, too. Right. And so that's what's still Fair. I believe that it's still what is used today, right? And um, the the pill that is, is prepped, the chemical compound, is, I believe, one yeah. of those in the three drug cocktails, in the three drug cocktail, but like you take it pro- prophylactically. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Wow. Okay. I could, I mean, Love. maybe fact check me on that. The science may be different. Not, we're not really. Ain't nobody going to fact check your science on this, on yeah. this, not in this joint. Not, not, in, not, in, not in my America, Gibson. Don't worry about that. We accept that as law now. <laughs> I mean, I really That's... appreciate that I can say whatever here and like, it's you really can't. Really so really like, can. I'm here like researching, like trying to like, double source everything before I yeah. present it on this podcast so I'm not I love that you dropped an actual source like I don't think anyone yeah. in this podcast has ever cited a source like we usually just the, okay usually let, allow me to cite my source which was like 28 fun facts about MTV BuzzFeed <laughs> like how not not BuzzFeed but it was like just I think a very earnest an earnest music lady and you know but, what those those were fun facts they were. I mean, I agree. They were incredibly fun facts. And you were incredibly informative and factual. We, we, we really, research is research. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was bringing big Virgo energy to this conversation. Exactly. You, it's the lens you, you really bring were. to the facts. Oh, the facts can be loose. You just had to go there. Yep. <laughs> He's needling in, pointing out our flaws. It's true. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Virgo is. I always do. do. We need it. It's it like our yearly kinds. audit. It, like, helps us do better for the next season. We need oh, it. God. Okay, well, loved this. Loved learning so much about the 80s. We learned, so much about we Act loved, Up. We laughed. And, like, also very interested to, like, research, like, when Act Up meets. Yeah. Let's and, like, start acting what, up a little more. What the environment. Let's start acting up a little bit more. And I love that the up stands for Unleash Power. Yeah. Let's all unleash power yeah. this week, you guys. Absolutely. Like, truly. Today and every day. I love that. Wow. Every day and every Gemini season and every Pride Month. And, okay, and on that well, note. Gibson, do you want to do a celeb spot and take us out? Do you want to do a celeb spot? Do you want to do the bye? Okay, bye. Oh, so good. That was a really good one. So good. Looking for more Manifest Destiny? Don't worry, we have a website. You can visit us at www.manifestdestinypodcast.com. Or connect with us over on Instagram at Manifest Destiny Pod. Big fan of the show? Go ahead and leave us a little review on your podcast platform of choice. It would mean the world to us and allow us to keep doing whatever it is we're doing here. And as always, a hearty thank you to our beloved manifestors for listening to Manifest Destiny, a millennial take on the American millennium.